Birding with Bat, Tuesdays at 10. Sorry about that, Al, but uh, better late than never, I assume, right? That's right, Dwayne, and it's no problem. It gave me time to answer a couple emails here. Ah. You know, I'm so good at putting that thumbs up emoji on emails and now I read in the paper that that's like signing a contract, so I'll probably have to stop doing that. Uh-oh. A, a court case found that was, that's a, a contract, like saying, I, I sign on, which seems goofy to me, but I'll have to find another emoji to kind of let people know that I got their message and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna act upon it as soon as possible. Hey, I, I'm glad everybody got some rain. We got a couple inches here, and I was out visiting goats. I know that sounds pretty weird, but we have uh, goats here at St. Aidan Cemetery. And they put like 40 goats per acre, and they clear it of all kinds of brush. Mainly buckthorn is what uh, they want to get rid of, but they will also eat poison ivy. And if you have garlic mustard and all these other kind of things there, they will eat it. And so I went out to just see the goats, and it just poured. Uh, I got uh, soaked on my way to the Freeborn County Fair to work, so I was one wet dude by the time I got there. But it was interesting that the goats just stood out in the rain. They didn't seek shelter under the trees or anything. They just stood by the tombstones and said, uh, it's pretty nice to have some water, I guess. Um, folks, I heard from a couple of people said, when would I be on the Pelican Breeze on Albert Lee Lake? It's August 27th and September 10th. And if any of you are interested, it's a 507 number, 383-7273, 383-7273. And please come to the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah on August 19th. Just a great, you get to see hummingbird uh, banding. Stan Tequila will be there. Uh, Don Mitchell does the banding. Uh, just a lot of wonderful things, vendors, and it's just a perfect day to be there. And uh, Folks have sent me pictures they've taken with their cell phones of hummingbirds there, and they're amazingly good. So I hope you can make it. It's August 19th, and beautiful Henderson. It's not Henderson, Nevada, or wherever else you might find Henderson's. This one is beautiful Henderson, Minnesota. And thanks to everybody at the Freeborn County Fair, at the Freeborn County Historical Society Museum, the Freeborn Mauer uh, Employees Electric co-op group, uh, the Albert Lee Girl Scouts, and all the folks who are on the Pelican Breeze. It was great spending uh, time in your company. Uh, going on on that Pelican Breeze, I have learned, I think, when you see lots of pelicans around here, it means that there are lots of bullheads in the lake. They're just everywhere. Lightning bugs or fireflies, uh, I think it's interesting that they are neither bugs nor flies. They are beetles. Uh, look for meadowhawk dragonflies to become common now. They're smaller dragonflies. The males are very often red. And on a warm August evening, common nighthawks were flying graceful loops in the skies over the fairgrounds where I toiled. And their sharp electric beans call let me know that they were chasing insects. Adult male hummingbirds and rose-breasted grosbeaks will soon scram. Robins will uh, form flocks. Uh, bird songs have quieted, and I've heard from a lot of people saying, what is that in the night that I hear so much? I know they're insects, and they 
call loudly in order to be heard. And it's usually the male insect that calls, and the intensity increases at dusk and continues through the night. They aren't using their voices. They use stridulation, and that's the act of producing sounds by rubbing two body parts together. The most well-known insects that do that are crickets, and we hear the snowy tree cricket. It's pale in color, and it inhabits woodland edges, bushes, small trees, and vines, and it's often called the temperature cricket because it's possible to tell the temperature by adding 40 to the number of chirps heard in 13 seconds. It's easier to look at a thermometer or your cell phone, but it's still cool. Uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne described his song as an audible stillness and declared if moonlight could be heard, it would sound just like that. Producers of movies and TV shows frequently dub the Snowy Tree Cricket, cricket song onto soundtracks to signal that the action is taking place on a quiet summer's night in a rural or suburban setting. The field cricket is a common household insect. Uh, This accidental invader is a large, shiny black cricket, and it produces its chirping by rubbing its wings together to create the quintessential cricket song. And then we're hearing katydids. They're resembling muscular green grasshoppers, and they call This is likened to the words katydid or katydint. And then a gray tree frog. He was hunting on my office window on a warm night, and the light attracted insects, and that attracted this. Hearing their calls, some things that are blooming, wild cucumber is a native annual vine with hand-sized star-shaped leaves. In early to mid-August, conspicuous small white to yellowish green flowers grow, and it's noticeable along roadsides, forest edges, hedgerows, and fences. The fruit is a small cucumber-like spiny pod, and common burdock is blooming. Uh, Tall woody perennials called meadowsweet are blooming in white flowers. But there are many yellow flowers. This time of year seems to belong to yellow flowers. Black-eyed Susans, yellow sweet clover, various species of sunflowers, common mullein, uh, bird's foot trefoil, evening primrose, and sow thistle. Expect heard from a bunch of listeners, Bryce Gaudian. Uh, Bryce is from Hayward, Minnesota. He has been in Texas, Utah, South Dakota, Saxembog, and, of course, Minnesota birding. And he has taken pictures, lovely pictures, of prothonotary warbler, yellow-breasted chat, red-headed woodpecker, cerulean warbler, phenopepla, burrowing owls that he saw in Prairie Dog Town in South Dakota, painted bunting, short-eared owl, long-eared owl, northern sawwet, and American avocets. Odin Jurdy, who is also from Hayward, saw a northern cardinal fighting with a blue jay. Boy, that blue jay must have been getting near the nest because northern cardinals are usually the kind of forgive and forget kind of fellows, but uh, something did tick him off. He said, uh, Odin said he was amazed at how tough morning doves are. They are indeed so. He saw indigo buntings and lots of rose-breasted grosbeaks. Tad Jepson, 
Well, the Albert Lee reported seeing pileated woodpeckers. David Olson of Heartland seeing sandhill cranes, as is Karen Brand of Albert Lee. Clyde Bonema of Hollandale said, when do Orioles leave, Al? Well, some of them have already left. Clyde, sadly, they begin in July, and August is a really busy month for them uh, to disappear, And but they also migrate in September. Jerry Victoria of Ellendale said uh, he had 57 wild turkeys nesting in his tree last fall. Uh, that's a lot of wild turkeys. Micah said he is back to collecting the Japanese beetle. He said, I must say the improvement from last year is better than I could have imagined. Last year I filled a wet vac almost four times. Actually wore out the wet, wet vac turning it on and off so many times. This year I don't even have half of the 52 fluid ounce bottle filled. I sometimes pretend I'm a cartoon like Wiley at Coyote and the Roadrunner. He out there collecting those beetles. He said he would be what uh, beetleless Nimrod exterminatorius as Wiley Coyote would be. He said as he was cleaning up the beetles he noticed a robin sitting comfortably on the grass near a hazelnut bush. As I moved closer it didn't move. It had recently died. It was like he or she knew the battery of life was about empty. Picked a nice soft spot in the tall grass and either watched his last sunset or sunrise. It looked so peaceful. I buried it right in the same spot. I remember you talking about the robin's lifespan and was shocked how short it was. I can't remember how long you said it was, but I think it was more than a year, if that. Would you be so kind to refresh my memory? A while back, I did see three pileated woodpeckers at one time in Williams Nature Park. That was a nice treat. Well, it's a nice treat hearing from you, Mike. I appreciate you. Yeah, Robins, man, you know, if they make it to adulthood, their average lifespan is two years. So it's a pretty short-lived uh, life. They, uh, they One lived 14 years. I know there was at least one. I don't know if there were any longer than that, but one lived 14 years. So they can be around for quite a while, so there's a good possibility we are seeing the same ones. But there's like a 50% turnover each year in Robins. Uh, Roger Davidson sent me a couple of New York Times articles, which uh, they just do a wonderful job on science and nature. Uh, one was about the Audubon name. The National Audubon Society considered going to a different name. Audubon uh, has uh, uh, a history that uh, not everybody cares for, I guess. They decided to continue with the National Audubon Society name, uh, and their reasoning was saying that Audub the Audubon name is just part of their identity. Uh, blind birders, there was a story uh, Roger sent me about blind birders and the problems with noise pollution that makes them makes it difficult sometimes for them to do any birding because it's hard to hear the singing birds for noise pollution. A uh, listener says, uh, how many generations of monarch butterflies are there in Minnesota each year? It takes monarchs approximately one month to go from egg to adult butterfly. Uh, so that, that caterpillar you have out there that you're seeing on a milkweed today, maybe he increases his size 2,000 times from hat size to 
to time where he's going to be closer to becoming a butterfly. There are used, that'd be like me becoming two blue whales. Uh, I, I know if I attend many county fairs, I could probably do that, but I, I can't. I don't think I should eat that much. There are usually four generations emerging throughout the year of monarch butterflies, and I think three of which could be in Minnesota. The first three generations have lifespans of two to six weeks, but that fourth generation, it lives six to nine months, and it begins migrating in mid-August on its way to Mexico. So the uh, ones we'll be seeing, they'll be turning in, the caterpillars will be turning into butterflies, and those butterflies will be headed south to Mexico. It's an incredible journey, and it's an incredible life history of these monarch butterflies and each year I find it I think each year I find it more amazing Al do you think the ivory billed woodpecker still lives uh, this is why the word oofta was invented I think uh, you fellow Minnesotans that have been here all your life you know that every so often you say oofta just sometimes for no apparent reason but it's when you get a question that has no perfect answer. I guess you say oofta. I don't know. Uh, I hope so. It's difficult to prove something doesn't exist. Uh, Take Bigfoot, for example. So I remain hopeful. I guess if I had to bet, I I just, you know, I want to be upbeat and hopeful at all times. I, I guess I'd go with they probably don't until I see more proof. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there trying to find them. Why do uh, the same listener ask, why do we have so few mosquitoes this year? Uh, dry weather. That makes for less standing water for the skeeters to use for reproduction. So if, now if we have some standing water, a lot of areas got three inches, I know. So maybe we'll uh, get lucky and get some mosquitoes because I know people really miss them and say, boy, we need more mosquitoes. Actually, I haven't heard anybody say that, but I'm sure I'm sure somebody's thinking it. The, uh, did the chipmunk get its name from its call? Uh, possibly. It's believed that the English word chipmunk was derived from, oh, boy, what was it? It was the, um, a name given the animal by the Chippewa Nation or from the Ojibwe, and I can't recall what the exact word was, but you know how uh, how we are at taking words and changing them a little bit to make it easier for us to say. I think it translated as one who descends trees headlong, although I hear that for squirrel, too. I think the Ojibwe uh, word for squirrel might be the same as it is for chipmunk, and I apologize if I am wrong on that. But uh, so could it be from chipmunk? Well, maybe it was. Maybe the Native American name for it did derive from that sound, too. I know uh, chickadee and a killdeer call out their names. Are there any other birds that do that? Uh, you know, humans, we give bird names that were often imitations of their songs or calls, yet there isn't a single bird species named Chirp. I, why is that? There should be a bird out there called Chirp. Uh, many suggest their names, however. Uh, some might require a good imagination, and some of those birds are the Phoebe, Peewee, Towie, 
Cuckoo Jay, the Blue Jay called JJJ, Bob White Quail, Kiskadee, Willet, Curlew, uh, Whippoorwill, Chuck, Chuck Will's Widow, Poopoo, I remember seeing those in, uh, in Israel, uh, Kitty Wake, Chachalaka, they, they see them down in the lower Rio Grande Valley and they call Chachalaka. Uh, also, a crow might be imitative of the bird's cry, the caw. And I think a hummingbird should be on the list of onomatopoetic names. So I would put the hummingbird on there because they do make a humming song as they fly around. Uh, somebody was on the pelican breeze. You just got a text from him uh, saying, do monarch caterpillars use Indian hemp as a host plant? I pointed out some of the Indian hemp. Indian hemp is dog bane, and the name's referring to its supposed toxicity to dogs and its similarity to hemp. And the perennial plant strong fibers have been, they've made it prize for cordage and threads. And young dog bane plants are often mistaken for milkweed because the injured dog bane oozes a white sticky sap with a consistency of latex paint and it's native to Minnesota was once thought to be larval food for monarch butterflies but research has shown that while female monarchs they occasionally lay eggs on a species their offspring will not mature on it so it's not a uh, not a good plant it uh, for monarchs. Although I think probably a lot of things will nectar on. It grows five feet tall, blooms in white flowers in June through August, and I enjoy seeing the iridescent dogbane beetles on dogbane. Uh, the gold, blue, green, yellow, and red insects are stunners, and they make it worthwhile just to have dogbane around. So you can see those beautiful beetles, and they are incredible, folks. I know a lot of you have probably seen them. They do not, um, there's no description that fits them. They're just so incredibly lovely that uh, it's one of those things that you see and you say, boy, I've just had a better day. Uh, I have two more questions here. Uh, What are the tallest ferns? And I think that could be Fern Johnson. Uh, she used to be six foot two, but she might have shrunk with age. I'm not sure. I don't know another tall fern, so you must be talking about plants. Uh, the ostrich fern will grow up to five feet tall, and the interrupted fern will grow up to four feet. And the other question I got, do purple martins really eat 2,000 mosquitoes a day? You know, martins feed... Think about this bird. He's feeding up there at 150 to 500 feet in the air. 150 to 500 feet. That's higher than where mosquitoes live because they're down here with us. Sure, they'll eat a few mosquitoes, but not thousands. Uh, Purple martins forage during the day. And as you know, mosquitoes are out a little later, get really active during the evening. So there isn't that much overlap in their schedules. So what are martins eating? They're eating beetles, dragonflies, damselflies, cicadas, grasshoppers, katydids, moths, butterflies, wasps, stink bugs, mayflies, bees, 
midges, horseflies, termites in areas that have red fire ants, they eat them and other insects. So they're out there eating bigger insects, which just makes sense because it would take them forever to get filled up by eating one little mosquito at a time. I always liken it to us driving through a fast food restaurant drive through and ordering one french fry at a time, eating it and get right back in line and going through and through instead of getting a, a real, real large meal there and uh, not having to eat like that. Uh, yeah, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank, thank you for sitting on the front porch with Dwayne and I. And uh, I I use a heated dog dish as a bird bath, and it was a, a cheaper alternative. Uh, yeah, it thinks it's a bird bath, and I don't have the heart to tell it otherwise. It works great even when its heater is on summer vacation, as it is now. It's not plugged in. Uh, that tiny body of water has brought me so much pleasure. I, I just can't believe it. An orchard oriole spent time in the dish on the last day of July, splashing with a gusto nearly matching that of a Baltimore oriole or an American robin or a blue jay who just seemed to revel in their time spent in the swimming pool. Then at dusk, an eastern screech owl visited the pool. Uh, the tiny owls regularly use bird baths for drinking and bathing. There's so many creatures use that bird bath, it would not surprise me if one of those ancient U.S. Navy frogmen that were available as toys in the boxes of Kellogg's Corn Flakes and Kellogg's Frosted Flakes showed up. Little me would put high-pressure propellant which was baking powder, in the base of the frogman, and he would dive, uh, and go up, and then he'd dive again. Oh, it was the coolest thing. I just watched that and said, this is incredible. I, I thought about putting baking powder on my feet to see if I could dive like that. A miniature frogman might be too much to hope for at my bird bath, but you never know what you will see when you watch birds. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember Heartland as well. We're driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Dwayne, you have the best day of your life. Thank you, and you as well. All right. Bye-bye. That is Al Bat with us uh, Tuesdays at 10.